0: Hello and welcome to Drive and Double Feature Podcast. I'm Nathan. I'm Ryan. This is the podcast where we talk about two movies a week every Tuesday and Thursday. But before we get into today's movie, you should check out our Patreon just for $5 a month. You can help support us and you get fun bonus episodes like us ranking movies, us just talking about movies, a little less structured, but it is a good time and you help support us. But no main content is locked behind there. But today, we are talking about Cruising from 1980, starring Al Pacino and directed by the late William Friedkin, who was an excellent director, one of those directors that just kind of has, you know, later on in his career, he had less hits, but he definitely has some huge movies from The Exorcist, The French Connection, which won Best Picture, and Cruising, which has kind of risen up in popularity
1: since its release. Um,
0: I don't know are you, you enjoyed some Friedkin
1: oh yeah I mean definitely one of the greats I mean just what I really love about a guy like this is he still took risks like he mm-hmm. <laughs> like he, he made a lot of really risky pictures it's he made a lot of pictures that's like like that would end like a lot of people's careers or like, Oh no, that's, that's not the safe pick. But you know, he does something like French connection or the exorcist and he wins all this acclaim wins best picture mm-hmm. for French connection, just. And then he makes a movie like cruising. It's just like, it's <laughs> like total, like could have definitely, you know, he could have easily have just played it safe and nobody would have batted a nine. He's like, no, I want to do this. It's, it sounds fun or challenging. Yeah.
0: It was something that interested him, and it's like, you know, it It seemed like he was always doing that. I mean, even late in his career, one of his last movies was Killer Joe, which was a hard X-rated movie. Yeah, he was always trying something different, and you know what? He, he didn't take shit from no one. Have you ever listened to him in interviews and stuff? He... Just doesn't care. He never loved being praised. Like if, if somebody was like, "Oh, I love your movies," he'd be like, "Shut up!" Like he hated it. <laughs> but he, he 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 was always interesting to listen to. And I listened to some of the commentary for this movie.
1: And man is so full of information. Oh yeah, I listened probably about half of the movie. I listened to commentary, so mm-hmm. um, it was a wealth. of I mean, he knew exactly like what he like what he was doing, like what he had planned. It was just like, it was mm-hmm. so well thought out that he seemed to be doing. It just seemed like it was all really carefully planned. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Um, But let's go ahead and get into kind of the plot of this movie. If you don't already know, Cruising is the story of a cop played by Al Pacino, who there is a series of killings within the gay community. So Al Pacino kind of has to go into this underground gay snm culture and he has to find out who the killer is and he goes crazy undercover kind of forgets who he is along the way and this movie does not hold back it's so wild watching this movie from 1980 and it still pushes boundaries it is um it's a filthy movie so I, i'll
1: put a little bit of a warning on this one for y'all oh yeah like even watching it today and they mentioned i mean it's not as like you don't see a whole lot like in terms of in terms of like stuff going on but there's a Mm -hmm. lot of implications and implied scenes like going on that's just like like you know what's actually happening oh yeah you know what's going on (laughs) um and
0: it's it's just kind of crazy all the stuff that goes on in the background like this movie is that like classic 80s dirty new york it's really like kind of gross setting destroyed areas but when you get into these gay bars it is just i guess come to find out through the commentary all the background actors were people that were a part of the leather scene as they called it and um it's just like just full of people making out sexual acts just in the background and al pacino just kind of hanging out taking it all in kind of learning about all of this
1: yeah, uh, Al Pacino kind of plays an outsider because he's trying, like you said, he's trying to infiltrate this community, and mm-hmm. it's. I, I like a lot of the earlier scenes because he goes in there clearly not knowing what he's doing. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he has to figure out and like by making some mistakes, but uh, eventually, you know, he gets really embedded into that community and starts to consume him.
0: Yeah. See that's one thing about this movie the first time I watched this because I've seen this before I, I think I was a little put off by by Pacino's performance the first time it's a very quiet performance it's a little more introspective which I don't think I'm used to with Pacino but Pacino I'm used to big performances where he's really exploding here he, he kind of takes a different turn and I think this time watching it I liked it a lot more
1: that that's that was my exact reaction because i this is my second time seeing this movie and when i watched it the first time i was like that was a little odd like i just it's very subdued role by um, al pacino like he does have a wild moment every uh a couple of wild moments because it's al pacino and i think even william friedkin said like yeah, I just I let Al do his thing, like for for the scene right here, because there's a scene where he like beats up somebody mm-hmm. and uh that's where he kind of lets loose. But uh and this one, um, they kind of explained um that role a little more, like in William Friedkin um, explained it a lot more, which made a lot more sense, which made me enjoy appreciate the role a lot more is when he was saying that Al Pacino, like he was kind of going in like cause. William Friedkin was saying, like, he was going into, like, he would go and, like, to all these bars himself and see what all this, what was actually happening in these bars. Mm-hmm. And so that way he can know, like, how to write the movie. Because he also wrote the screenplay, too. So mm-hmm. um, when Al Pacino, like, when they're like, okay, we're going to shoot this scene, Al. And then when Al sees this, like, insanity going on, like, Al Pacino almost looks, like, afraid, like, when he was going, like, in there. And he said he was actually used that fear for the movie (laughs) because it's almost like there's like an innocent kind of quality to him. Like, Whoa, I wasn't expecting this. Like what's all this stuff. And then, but like, as you, like, as I said, as the movie goes along, he starts losing that and he starts knowing how a lot of those people move and act in those movies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's really interesting. And they talk about this. Did you watch any of the special features?
1: i did i watched i watched all of them
0: yeah um which these are actually available on youtube when i watched these i realized that i, I had already watched these <laughs> before <laughs> uh but I, I do really like how they explain like you know it was right out of the like the 70s people were really into like you gotta learn your role you gotta figure it out so they really were getting into the community and trying to figure things out um somebody who's st- who's away from the community but i still think does a great performance is a. Uh, paul sorvino in this movie who plays the chief which is another really subdued uh like performance but he like has like this pain in his eyes and he's so quiet the whole time there's there's something about his performance i really like it's something hidden behind him
1: yeah i because paul sorvino i mean mainly i kind of think of him as like being in mob movies the same here Or Rico's a genetic opera, of course. Well, I'll take your word for it. (laughs) But uh, I I always, he's always like, you know, angry mobster type of guy or like someone that's really threatening or cold. But like you said, uh, he acts like a guy that's just been through a lot and he's Mm -hmm. just like, he's done. He's seen a bunch of stuff that he doesn't want to see and it always acts really just kind of like apathetic kind of where he's just like, I don't I hate that I even have to deal with this stuff anymore. And yeah, um, even like like in the movie, there are a couple of gay informants. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, they uh, they get kind of hassled by <laughs> these uh, other two cops in the beginning of the movie, which one is played by Mike Starr. Like I've seen him in a bunch of movies. And mm-hmm. the other guy, I can't think of the actor's name, but he played uh, Garza in Rocky
0: yeah uh god i always forget his name but he's like in so many movies that we watch honestly
1: okay so the uh, the actor's name was joe Spinell, yeah and like i said he played uh, Gazzo gazo in rocky he's also in taxi driver he's in the godfather i mean he's in a bunch of really popular movies so mm-hmm. um but yeah he's in the he's in that very beginning where he's kind of hassling these gay informants but anyway the one informant goes up to paul sorvino's character it's like hey i need you to help me out and paul sorvino's like i don't i don't even want to deal with this crap like like, like it's just like i just i just want to be done with this whole ordeal
0: yeah exactly and i, and I like that a lot um you know this movie gives me uh, when i first started it as it went on less and less especially with how procedural this movie is it reminded me a little bit of a diallo like an italian movie like a little inspiration there from the beginning it doesn't quite go to the lengths that it does it's actually something that i think might put some people off this movie doesn't really have any like huge twists there's no like big setup or anything like i said it feels like a police procedural like this is oh this is actually how being an undercover cop would end up going in this situation
1: so it ends up feeling a little um deadpan not a huge there's no huge climax to it all no there's not i mean they do have somebody in mind who they think is the killer that's been Mm. slaying all these other gay people and it's actually really clever how they filmed a lot of these murder scenes because they didn't want you to know right away who the killer was in the movie so uh, the very uh, first kill in the movie, which is also like pretty graphic. Like, you know, it has like a man that's naked and tied up and gets stabbed to death. And they uh, have the scene where the, the victim that dies in that scene, he um he's killed by um another actor. And then the guy playing the killer ends up being the victim in the second murder. Yep. And, and then so on and so forth. Like, it's just like, all these different people are playing the killer because they don't want you to know right away by their body type because they want it to be kind of like this faceless killer. Yeah, and I think they do a good job of that and setting all of that up. I was also going to say, too, another thing that's I really liked about this movie, like, I didn't notice it until... Well, I kind of noticed it at the beginning, but then when I was watching the behind-the-scenes, they pointed it out. But, like, there's the scene in the very... The very first time that Al Pacino goes into... Um, a bar and mm-hmm. then he's kind of in this corner and there's like a scene where it's like everybody like all these faces like pass by him and walk by and it's like people that are going to be playing an impact later in the movie
0: yeah i yeah no i i noticed that too or at least i thought about it after when i was watching the special features looking at the scenes like oh that's actually a really clever way to set up like the future of this movie because that even plays whenever we figure out who it actually is, it shows that person's face. It's like, Oh yeah, I remember him from earlier. So I, I think it does a really good job of setting all of that up and it, it goes for the classic schizophrenic <laughs> is the killer at the end of it all. Right. Um Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, uh, what it is, is it's it's a gay man, um, and I and I'm 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 gonna say that he's probably repressed. That's kind of the whole thing, and then he sees his father, and his father is disappointed at him. So he's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead, and I'm just gonna kill people just to kind of make things better. But I do really like the scene where he does actually talk to his father on the bench. Because it does, I remember the first time I watched it, it felt odd, but I was like, wow, oh, that's really interesting. And this time you really can tell that it really is just a fake setting because it's way too brightly lit. It, mm-hmm. It's really kind of awkward, but it's, it makes sense because it's all within
1: this guy's mind. Well, yeah, because the uh, the killer too, like I said, you know, the face is a little different, but the thing that is connecting is that the killer has the same voice it's mm-hmm. like it's always this really specific voice yes, that the yeah. killer has and it's kind of like
0: a duck voice
1: i wish that would have that would have taken this movie to a different level then that would have been like this is definitely giallo oh this but, is perfect <laughs> well if, if lucio fulci was directing it you definitely know there would be a duck somewhere in this movie
0: yes yeah, yeah definitely
1: <laughs> but um The killer has a specific voice and when the guy's having a conversation with his dad, his dad also has that same voice. So it's like Mm -hmm. when he's doing these killings, he's imitating his dad.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which I think think that's a really cool touch. But there's a really cool scene that happens where Al Pacino... Uh, breaks into the the bad you know the, the murderer's place and it's in broad daylight and they have to remove he has to remove like the AC unit and he's digging through the documents. It's not really a suspenseful scene. I never am like in suspense, but it, it just feels like realistic. And I guess that comes from this Al Pacino's character is based off of a real person. I, I never I never yeah. like realized that but like it's an actual cop that actually kind of went into the leather scene to bust, uh, it was a couple of crooked cops is actually what it was. It wasn't like a gay killer. It was um, cops that were going in and stealing money from gay people telling them, you know, kind of secrets to be revealed and everything unless you pulled out all that money. Um, is the real life what
1: happened? Uh, there was though they there was though like killings though that were happening in a gay bar like in real life though isn't that what they're saying
0: yeah there were killings that happened in real life but i guess those that never got solved and the the cops never got those pinned on them but you never know right well
1: well that's what i was gonna suggest so like i don't i mean was this movie like i thought i mean the ending of this movie is very open-ended yes yeah and it's almost like implying like was he the real killer <laughs> or is he just mentally unstable at this point and yeah because one thing i noticed and i don't know if this was intentional or maybe it was just a thing at the time but like there are so many people al pacino included that all have like the exact same hairstyle and like mm-hmm. dress the same way like there are so many freaking perms in this movie. <laughs> it's just like everybody has like these perfectly permed hairs that are just like real curly. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like they were kind of going for this type of thing like implying that I mean that's what even they said in the movie. It's like they I like got the end of the movie. It's like they didn't want to have like a definitive answer for the killer. I mean, they kind of imply that hey, maybe this guy was the killer the whole time, but it's like almost saying that maybe they didn't catch the real one since in real life, they didn't really catch a real killer.
0: Yeah, that, that is true. And it definitely sets that up. Um, because there is that murder that happens after he's in custody and it's like the innocent, the innocent guy, right? The one that was um, mm-hmm. really helpful to Al Pacino wasn't really part of the SM scene. He, he ends up dead. And Paul Servino is just like, oh, God, I, I can't believe. That it's happened again. So, I mean, yeah, nothing really gets
1: solved in the end, which is the depressing part. Now, do you think, were they trying to imply, because there is a shot of Al Pacino at the very end of this movie, do, were they trying to imply that Al Pacino might have been a killer?
0: You know, I Man. never thought that, but you say that and it would make sense,
1: right? Well, because at the very end of the movie, so mm-hmm. the, uh, the killer in this movie has a very specific getup and like that has these aviator shades, leather jacket with like this leather military type of hat Mm -hmm. and our biker hat or whatever you want to call it. But anyway, um, Al Pacino brought that outfit with him to his Mm -hmm. girlfriend's fiance's place yeah, who's and, played by a
0: Karen Allen, I should add.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, and that was pre-Indiana Jones. So this is, it's like, well, why would he have that outfit? And it's That's so, true. I, so I, and they just had that long scene at the very end, the movie ends with Al Pacino just staring at the camera, like, at so it's.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I always look, I was looking at it as like, he was a broken man. Like after everything that happened, he questioned a lot about himself. But I do think you're on to something. I, I do think that it definitely leaves up something ambiguous. Like maybe, you know, he was his neighbor, you know, like
1: that would have been an easy kill for him to get before he left or something. So. I, I mean, it could be a number of things. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it because even William Friedkin said it was like a different meaning for the scene, but, gotcha. it, but it could be, it, I that's just in my own little head canon. But
0: that's, what's fun about like ambiguity. I, that's why i like movies that are ambiguous it gives you a chance to kind of think like "Ooh, what could happen or some of the implications rather than it all just laying all the facts out for you
1: and i think that's one reason why i disliked the movie when i first watched it or mm-hmm. maybe i wasn't i didn't love it as much because i was just like what do you mean they didn't there is that should be a happy ending they got to kill it. you know like that yeah type yeah of thing. like but now like when i'm thinking about it more critically it's like okay it's like this movie isn't really a who done it. this is more just a man slowly becoming like <laughs> losing his psyche like being involved in this this scene that he does not want to be a part in
0: exactly it kind of loses like his grip and you know maybe questions himself because like he can't even sleep with his girl anymore you know and he like we see that one scene where he gets booked by the cop and he's in like Al is in the very like uh, open position with his hands tied behind his back and his leg up and he's completely <laughs> naked when they get him. Uh,
1: so I was kind of wondering, do you think he crossed that line in this movie? I mean like, and uh, for the sake of the character,
0: I think so. If he was willing to be in that position and then afterwards he was telling the cops like you came in way too early I think so. I think he did open himself up a little
1: bit. Cuz I the only reason I asked that cuz there is a scene also where he's hanging out in the park mm-hmm. and he's having like kind of like this stare down with like Joe Spinell's character mm-hmm. and um and then he ends up following another like guy home and I'm like i was like what well, what was that about like you know yeah. like because he specifically followed that guy it wasn't like he left on his own he was like another guy was walking and he followed them so yeah
0: well that's what i kind of like about it is like he kind of you can tell he loses a little bit of that innocence that he had at the beginning of the movie because like i really like the scene where he goes into like the store with the handkerchiefs and he's just yeah. skin and they're like oh the yellow one means you you know you want a golden shower in the left pocket it means that you'll you'll give and the right will mean you'll receive and like all this stuff and he's learning and
1: eventually he does seem like he knows what he's doing like he's a part of the community that the only thing that was weird about that so you know they talk about the handkerchiefs Uh so he's heard about what the handkerchiefs are and but then he still ends up buying a, a yellow a yellow handkerchief so i was like so Was he just not listening to that guy or was he just hoping that nobody else would be interested in golden showers (laughs) or he doesn't know what a golden shower is. And he's like, yeah, no, I don't know. I like gold. (laughs) We'll see what's up with that.
0: (laughs) So, and then he learned the hard way. Um, Yeah. But there, I, there's one scene I really have to bring up that I think is just bizarre. One of the most bizarre scenes in this movie is the interrogation scene with, oh, the, yeah. with the big dude just wearing a jock strap That's a detective that slaps people around, and uh, but, I mean, my exact same questions. They smacks people, and both Al Pacino and the other guy, he hits. They're like, "Who the hell is that? Who is that?" <laughs> Never really gets answered. It's just like some guy that goes around and slaps people.
1: Yeah, it's a guy, a big black guy, in a jock strap and you, with a cowboy hat on, and slaps slaps people as hard as they can. But like, so I I did read, so they did mention that briefly on the yeah. behind the scenes, and they said that that was like a real thing, and I read in more about it. Like, okay, the deal, what that is the deal with that. So what they would do, that was to kind of make uh like murder suspects lose their credibility to kind of shake them up a little bit. So like they would actually mm-hmm. have that come in and they would have like a, you know the guy slap them or whatever. And mm-hmm. and then later, like when they had questions like, Yeah, like some guy would come in like in a in a jock strap that and just slap me, you know, just make it look like you know they're not the silliest thing. Yeah, like just to make it look like, you know, it's just taking away like all credibility from them. Like oh, okay, That's this is <laughs> but I that's just,
0: a, that's really er, interesting though
1: yeah so i was just like oh, okay gotcha. um, but that's that made a little more sense but still it's it's very out there i mean even still even with the context it doesn't make it <laughs> any more reasonable but um i it's it just it just adds to the movie.
0: Yeah, it's just one of those like things. Um, and I I do really like this movie. Uh, I know, I guess we have to say like when this movie came out, it was panned. People hated this movie. Um, and especially, I feel like um, it had a lot put on to it because it was about the gay community, um, about a gay community uh, having murders within it, being like, when you see these bar scenes, you might think that it paints a negative portrayal Um, And I can see where that's coming from, for sure. Especially, like, in the 80s, when, like, you know, it's not like now. People were more openly gay than ever before, but it still was, like, no, not everybody was accepting of it, not as much as today. So to put a movie out that's so strongly gay and then make it a negative murder movie, I get that being, like, a reason to be like, I don't like this movie.
1: Yeah, and I think the other big thing too is that this movie you know not only was it not not accepted by the mainstream crowd but mm-hmm. the, there was also like the gay community itself kind of rejected the movie yeah. as well and even though like William Friedkin um jumped through all these hoops to try to get them try to get the movie made and like pretty much asked like all the permission of everybody and try to get gay people involved into the making of this movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it was still uh, seen as like, Oh, they're like from the gay community. It was just seems like, Oh, like they're just trying to exploit us or like trying to make something that's just going to make everything like, our lives even worse. And there's like a introspective moment from William Freakin on the, on the behind the scenes too of the movie where mm-hmm. he's like, he does, you know, spell it, like, hey, it was not my intention to do, you know, to, you know, to add any more negative connotation to being gay, but I just kind of saw it as, like, a backdrop to being mm-hmm. a, a murder mystery, he said, but he's, he even said, like, in a way I did exploit them.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, he admits it, but I do see the whole idea that it is a backdrop. I don't think it paints anyone, like, like it, it shows it doesn't show the whole gay community as a negative or anything. In my opinion, it is just the killer ends up being gay and is killing other gay people.
1: No, and I don't think there's anything negative like the, the movie's trying to say. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of people from conservative backgrounds could see the t- a movie like this and be like, mm-hmm. "Hey, this is this must be how all gay people act," but that's not the case. You know, this is just like an extreme case. Like this it, is yeah. And at the same time, I think that's what gay people were worried about. It's like, well, you guys are just going to make my life even worse. And and I don't, but again, I don't think that was the intention behind this movie. I think a lot of it was just trying to, like, he was like, oh, this is a really unique background. Let me just put this into my murder mystery.
0: Yeah, exactly. But Brian, this was nominated for Worst Picture at the Razzies, as well as Worst Director and <laughs> oh, So Of course,
1: of course that means it's bad. Yeah,
0: this is in the '80s. Like, uh, God, you'll see some like, like I think 1980. That's the same year that they
1: nominated The Shining for worst picture, right? Right. The Shining got nominated, and all, so I mean, I, I, I don't take their, <laughs> <I> take their <laughs> ratings with a very grain of salt. Yeah, but I,
0: I, I will say just to wrap it up, Cruisin I think is a really interesting murder mystery movie. Well, it's not even a murder mystery cop. Procedural murder movie. um Al Pacino gives a really interesting performance that you don't really see a lot in his career, and uh, it's a real it is a cool setting, and I think it's a very interesting piece of
1: eighties culture. So I say check it out. Yeah, I mean, if you are listening to our episode and any of that stuff, you are like, well, I don't want to see that. And then you mean you already? I mean, already, <laughs> I, I think you should know. I think you already know already. This is the type of movie you want to see, but. Mm-hmm. If you're going in with an open mind and you want to see a great uh, mystery, great, good movie. I definitely say, check this one out. This movie is definitely a recommend for me.
0: Well, I think that wraps it up, but Ryan, what are we going to be covering on Thursday?
1: Well, Nathan, what's the worst kind of prey? one that's on hulu no no nathan uh, obviously the worst kind is deadly prey oh uh, yeah i do think so <laughs> that's what everyone says <laughs> yeah that's just so common <laughs> but no we are going to be talking about the movie deadly prey which is streaming for free right now on tubi
0: awesome well i'm excited for that if you want to email us, uh, you if you want to email us, you can email us at gmail.com. You can also post us over at X at didf pod. But until next time,
1: until next time. <laughs>